It's a new era of Notre Dame football. Marcus Freeman is the new head coach. He and his staff are energetically recruiting on the road as we record this. Meanwhile, the Fighting Irish are looking forward to the chance to break a nine-game major bowl losing streak as they will take on Oklahoma State in the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. I'm Brett Lackey. I'm joined by Patrick Engel and Tyler Horka of BlueAndGold.com. Uh, guys, you were both at Monday's introductory ceremony to uh, – officially times two kind of named Marcus Freeman, the new head coach. And it looked like an awesome event. So I want to ask you guys, Patrick, you first, what was that experience like being there? Yeah, they definitely didn't hold back any of the you know, festivities and the chance to really you know, ring in a new era for uh, lack of a better term, like you just said, I mean, this wasn't doing it with a whimper whatsoever with, you know, bringing in Brady Quinn and having the whole band there and doing it in the, Irish Athletic Center, this brand new building on campus. Yeah, they definitely didn't uh, hold back in that regard, nor should they have, absolutely. But in terms of you know what actually happened there, you saw a glimpse when Freeman talked of really what we've seen in the last 11 months in just talking to him in media settings and press conferences and just sitting around a round table on that second floor of the lounge in training camp. And he's exactly the same guy in that setting as he was there no you know, kind of fake personas or anything like that and that's not necessarily a, a new takeaway but uh, a good thing that i thought was kind of reinforced there was uh, that he really leaned into what notre dame is and as we've heard him kind of lean into that in his various interviews on this week's media tour and the whole change you if you let it and you know who knows what he's thinking in year five of his tenure or how this goes or anything like that but it doesn't seem like he's really thinking about, you know, a ceiling here and, and, and seems to be someone who really wants to push whatever ceiling that is uh, to be perceived that higher and, and reaching there. So really to see him from the jump, uh, at least, you know, publicly, and I think this is actually what he thinks too, really lean to what Notre Dame is instead of, you know, all the, the reasons maybe why you know, all the hypotheses is out there, why uh, it's been close, but still not quite there. So I know the Brian Kelly's hits the ceiling narrative is a little, probably a little overblown here, mm -hmm. but you wonder about that and that idea and whatnot when you just consider his move and some noise and reporting and whatnot around his hiring and at LSU and going somewhere less Notre Dame-like, I think it was the phrase used in a, a Sports Illustrated report. So just, I thought a good kind of way to combat that with, Freeman, just the fact that you hired him and then you're hearing him out here and then on all these different radio appearances and TV appearances that he's done, really trying to lean into what Notre Dame can do, uh, I think. Tyler, you got to experience all of that. And also you got a firsthand view of the, uh, I guess, the airplane uh, <laughs> that the staff will be using to go around and quickly visit recruit after recruit after recruit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Marcus Freeman kind of sent a message from, you know, the opening of that ceremony before a word was even said by anybody. He walks in holding the hands of two of his kids, mm -hmm. uh, walking right alongside of him, Father Jenkins, six of Notre Dame's captains walking in with him as well. And everyone's looking to their left. And there's just this big procession of people coming in and it kind of hits you like, man, like for 12 years, this program had the same head coach, but now they have a new one. And it's this guy, it's this family man who seats his family, all six of his kids and his wife, Joanna, on the first row. And then, you know, walks confidently up the, the stage for a little 40 to or 45 minute 
um, you know, press conference type deal with, like you said, Brady Quinn speaking, Swarbrick, Jenkins, everybody. It was this, it just felt like a moment. And there was um, a thing that, that I pointed out before it all started was you see all these players start walking in Jack Cohn, Tyler Buckner, and Lorenzo Styles. They all take their seats right behind uh, Freeman's family. And, and I've been to three different head coaching intro press conferences now. I think it's very unique to have pretty much the entire team there. So that was really cool. And then, like you said, uh, this whole event goes on. It felt more like a ceremony than a press conference, but he did win the press conference. Let's not let that uh, slip through the cracks. Some of those quotes, and we've written countless stories about them on blueandgold.com already. He was very convincing in what he had to say. But then just one hour after that, or one hour after, two hours after it started, let uh, about two hours after it started and about an hour after it finished, exactly an hour after it finished, he's hopping on a plane to go see recruits up in Wisconsin. And then uh, as Mike Singer has reported, he's been on the West Coast. Now he's in the South. He's all over the place. And uh, it's, it's been a whirlwind week for Marcus Freeman. Uh, it, it was, you know, really accentuated in that press conference. And now the grind starts, though. He's, he's got a recruit early signing days a week from today. And then he's got a bowl game in less than four weeks. So. Uh, it's been a whirlwind week. It's it's going to be a whirlwind month for Marcus Freeman. And Tyler, you have an article today on, on blueandgold.com that kind of give, gives an inside look at, at just how hectic this is on a human being. Me named a, a new head coach and what you have to do basically immediate, immediately. And I thought Notre Dame's the Fighting Irish Notre Dame Fighting Irish Media did a phenomenal job. I think throughout this process, I mean they're they're killing it. And but they gave everyone a look at all this stuff too. What did you guys kind of learn about? Uh, what it takes to be a head coach at the major level by being able to observe some of this stuff so closely. Tyler, since you wrote the article, I'll have you go first. Yeah. I mean, the, you don't realize how much goes into it, but the, with the media landscape, the way it is today, uh, you can kind of get a better glimpse than you could. I think someone mentioned it on the board, you know, when Brian Kelly was introduced 12 years ago, this pomp and circumstance thing wasn't the case. You, you couldn't really get a glimpse into these guys' lives, but um, you know, we've written how many different articles have we written off of just uh, media deals that Marcus Freeman has done with, you know, Patrick did one on ESPN radio the other day. I did it on college game day on Saturday. I didn't even plan on doing that. I was just sitting down. I was like, okay, the, the craziness of this week is over. I'm going to watch some college football today. But then the next thing I hear is Marcus Freeman coming up next on college game day. <laughs> and then I look at my TV and he's in the same exact um, you know, IAC that he'd be introduced formally in, uh, what, 48 hours later, a little over 50 hours later. So yeah. it's just crazy. Um, and I wrote it in the article that you mentioned, Greg, um, you know, th at this time last week, you could probably still confidently say that Marcus Freeman didn't know if he was going to be the defensive coordinator at LSU, or if he would be the head coach at Notre Dame, maybe he wouldn't be at Notre Dame in any capacity. And then if that was the case, yeah, he's probably going to LSU. He said it a couple times in his intro on Monday. If I didn't get this job, I'm probably going to LSU with Brian Kelly because I need a job. Those six kids that I take care of and my wife, you know, I put food on the table by coaching football and wherever that is, I'm going to do it. But obviously he's very happy that it worked out for him here at Notre Dame because I think a lot of people are confident in him. He's confident in himself. But like you mentioned, everything that's happened for him in the last you know week and a half now is crazy. And it's kind of cool that we get to see a glimpse of that, like you said, through what Notre Dame has done through these different media obligations that he's had uh it just i feel like the fan base has connected with him in a way that five ten years ago wouldn't be the case and patrick your article today also a great read takes one of i think 
kind of the most substantive substantive things about his presser where, where Coach Freeman talked about, I'm the chief recruiter of the team. And th- that's, to me, I think a lot of people feel like that's one of the ways Notre Dame can make the next step on the football field is if their head coach has that sort of, I made the comparison on our forum of like, or and I mentioned on Twitter, like a Pete Carroll or Urban Meyer forward approach when they were killing it in recruiting, it's because those guys were the leads basically in their recruiting operation. I think that's definitely a good way to go about it. And that's not to say Notre Dame couldn't have gotten there with Kelly, maybe if it had more Marcus Freeman's on staff or just, you know, what the next year's class would have looked like mm-hmm. or the 2023 class has started out with all of those guys coming under Kelly, but coming with a lot of help from Freeman. But I don't know that the five-star inflow or top 100 recruit inflow, and I think I might have mentioned this before, will ever equal Alabama's or Ohio State's or Georgia's or whoever at Notre Dame. So I don't know if the sky is the limit, is the, like, you know, try to take the the zoomed out uh, view here. But it seems like Notre Dame has the guy in charge and this goes back to your uh, comparison, Greg, to push it to whatever the maximum is, whatever that most possible inflow of you know, the bluest of blue chip recruits, which is still pretty high. I mean, yeah. we've seen him finish with a top three class under Kelly. I believe it was 2013 before. Yep. So it's not like you're just going to be stuck at number eight or nine or whatever the very good but not top five 2021 class was. No, not at all. And you get the sense with Freeman that uh, Notre Dame has a shot to get a lot more of, say, the the top recruits, top 100, whatever recruits, who are fits but just see Notre Dame as another football school. And, and because you think of Freeman as someone who's able to sell the different point of view, that it's not another football school, his point of view there, on some of those guys. And, of course, being able to target and, and there and get more guys who are fits but don't know it, to use his phrase. So – those are the recruits you need a really higher hit rate on to max out the the inflow here. And I, I think Marcus Freeman is going to give him a, a really, really good chance to do that. I don't know that he'd want to hear that the sky's not the limit. It doesn't really seem like that's uh, 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 this is the way that he operates. Yeah. But, yeah, you, you do get the sense that the the ceiling is you know, – they've got the guy in place to try to at least push it higher than it can go or, or to its highest. And then – I, I was just kind of reminded of like wh- when I heard him say that and in, in, in wrote off this and then go out on a plane and instantly go visit the top remaining offensive player left. Now, a guy who he wasn't involved with as a defensive coordinator. It's so much different than this like odd Zoom press conference we had last late signing day with Kelly and several assistants where it almost felt like they were kind of chastising or reminding fans like, we're shopping down a different aisle as if they needed to hear that again for the 50,000th time. I don't, I don't think you're going to hear Freeman say that as much. And like I talked about at the top of the show, I think you're going to hear him lean into, all right, why is this place beneficial instead of, oh, we do it differently. And then I wrote this in the story too. We heard uh, going back to that last February Zoom presser in then recruiting coordinator Brian Polian's words, like we make a conscious effort when we think it's best to get Coach Kelly involved in the process. And it's not to say that didn't work. I mean, Notre Dame has been good and look at the last five years as, as a result of what's happened with that process. But you get the sense Freeman just, there might be a recruitment, you know, here or there, or a few every cycle where he just says, forget it. 
I'm I'm coming into this now. Let's go get this done. So I, I think in that regard, it's a really intriguing recruiting operation with him leading it. Yeah, to your point, he doesn't sound like the type of guy that's going to make excuses, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, you referenced the class of 2013. Off the top of my head, that is the last time Notre Dame had a top five class. That was the class for Notre Dame fans. Uh, that included Jalen Smith. He was the number three player overall in the country. It was, again, off the top of my head, uh, Robert Nikam DJ was number one that year, and I believe Vernon Hargraves as a corner was number two. And uh, I can tell you Jalen Smith was very much in the discussion to be the number one player overall uh, in that class. You can follow us on Twitter. Patrick Engel is at Patrick, E-N-G-E-L underscore. Tyler Horka is at TB Horka. I'm Greg Lackey, and I'm at Greg Lackey. Make sure you follow our staff account at BGI News. Subscribe to the Irish Shuttle Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Feel free to leave a review and provide some feedback. We always appreciate it. Guys, we referenced it earlier, but Notre Dame won social media uh, this past week. I think not only just in the this, like, uh, Notre Dame versus LSU dynamic, but I think with all of these coaching changes, I, just, I want to give you some numbers. Uh, and this is off of Twitter. There's 4.5 million views now on the Bayless introduce or Coach Bayless, the strength and conditioning coach, introducing Marcus Freeman. 4.5 million. That's a lot on Twitter for a college sports related video. There's 1.7 million views on Tommy Reese's uh, kind of Wall Street esque coming in, being like, I'm, you know what, staying. <laughs> Uh, just other stuff. I mean, the Marcus Freeman opening speech in the locker room has more than 600,000 views. The Built by Bayless uh, video, which was earlier in the week, uh, 650,000 views. So, I mean, I, I just, again, I want to give a shout out to Notre Dame Fighting Irish Media. Uh, they did some really cool stuff, including that day one video where they kind of followed, they did follow Marcus Freeman all the way to, you know, through his first day after he learned he would be the head coach. So, I just want to get your thoughts. I know that was very long-winded, and, and, and Tyler, I'll start with you. What did you think about all that stuff and just how viral this entire thing unfolded for Notre Dame? Yeah, and that's not even to mention some of our numbers. I know we've been oh, talking uh, amongst ourselves about our YouTube numbers, and if anyone could see how many you know clicks that our articles are getting, I think they would be shocked too that falls right in line with what Notre Dame itself was doing. But, yeah, it's, it's just kind of the – the era that we lived in, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I think it's also a lot about the circumstances and the, the way that this happened. I mean, uh, literally one day, Notre Dame is beating Stanford by 30 plus points. Two days later, the head coach that, you know, was the catalyst for that and was the catalyst for the last decade plus of Notre Dame uh, dominance on the football field is leaving for a program that went six and six. I know it won a national title two years ago, but, you know, LSU, I think a lot of people at that moment, we're saying why. And then once they got past the why, it was what's next. So to answer that question of what's next, obviously, the ultimately, the, the answer was Marcus Freeman. And everybody wanted to consume every little piece of that answer being Marcus Freeman. So from Notre Dame's side of things, getting all those views on the, the, the videos they put out, which was very smart, by the way, that's called capitalizing on the moment and yeah. knowing that, you know, everyone is searching Marcus Freeman. Everyone wants to see every little bit of Marcus Freeman. So to show him coming in and uh, I mean, I know you guys consume a lot of sports media. I've got the TV on to my left right now. I watch sports shows all day while I work here in my apartment and just every little sports show that I watch, whether it's ESPN, Fox Sports, whatever it may be, even podcasts that I listen to while I'm out walking the dog, it's did you see that Marcus Freeman video of him coming in and the, the team just going nuts and everyone celebrating and that everyone just wanted to say like, that is what you're looking for in a college athletics yeah. team. It, it's chemistry. It's, 
it's everything that you're looking for. You know, what, what makes college football different than the NFL or any pro sports? It's just the camaraderie and the way people come together. That happened at Notre Dame last week. And I think us as a, a media entity, we took, uh, you know, we capitalized on, on bringing that information to people. And obviously Notre Dame itself did too. Well, with all of this energy and excitement among Notre Dame Nation and its football fans, it's a great time to visit Augie's Locker Room. It's a store less than a mile from the Notre Dame Stadium. It's on 1811 South Bend Avenue. It's recently named the best Notre Dame collectible shop in the country. They have jerseys, helmets, signed memorabilia, all kinds of stuff that's just perfect for the Notre Dame fan to add to your man cave or, or even a Christmas gift for someone else in your life that's also a Notre Dame fan. So make sure you visit augieslockerroom.com. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. Um, Patrick, did putting the millions of reasons aside uh, that Brian Kelly has to not worry about his performance over the last week, I mean, he signed a big contract. Did, did he have a, as about a bad of a first week as, as a head coach can have? Well, if you put it in terms of how he left his old job and then his ability or well, lack thereof, uh, to pick up the local language, so to speak. Yeah, not great. Uh, not ideal to not get anyone to go with him in like the immediate couple of days. I know he did get Brian Polian to follow him from Notre Dame to LSU as his special teams coordinator. That's a fish couple hours before we record this on Wednesday. But at the same time, uh, one wonders if that's a little different if Freeman's not named head coach as, as Tyler alluded to earlier, there's a good chance he might be a, the defensive coordinator at LSU. And then where does that leave the rest of the staff? Are they going to hang around if the search is going to be a couple of weeks? And are they going to commit to stay when they wouldn't know if a coach who's two weeks away from being hired would even want them on their staff? No, that's kind of hard to, to figure out. But nonetheless, still, I guess, it says something probably more about Freeman than it does about Kelly, that mm -hmm. a lot of these assistants chose to stay with him and chose Notre Dame over Kelly and LSU until uh, Polian, obviously, uh, today. And I can understand that, too. Uh, so in that, I, I think that might be maybe the little part of it that's overblown as far as like, oh, they all must must hate him. And look, I, I mean, I can absolutely see if there have been some ruffled feathers or burned bridges, just given the way how last Monday and Tuesday went down. But in terms of coaching changes, like, Sometimes this stuff just happens. I mean, maybe it's a little rarer that you have a coach leaving as successful a blue blood team like Notre Dame for another major job. And no one's left Notre Dame for another college head job in 114 years. So then you think about, okay, there's more of something to want to stay at and obviously more of a reason than to promote from within like they did with Freeman because of the, the continuity. But at the same time, also, like, this is LSU. He's going to get a good staff because it's an attractive place to work uh, with assistant money that'll pay well. And because he's been generally pretty good at hiring staff, even if it doesn't have to come from his Notre Dame staff. I mean, just look at Frank Wilson. He got him to resign as an FCS head coach, really, really well-respected guy and recruiter in the state of Louisiana to come back to LSU and not even be a coordinator. And then all the transfers and the decommits and whatnot, like, yeah, there've been some tough ones. I mean, you lost a starting quarterback who's pretty good to the, the portal, but in these days of coaching changes, especially at a place that hadn't been successful in the last couple of years, and then with the immediate eligibility transfer, 
It's just going to be pretty commonplace. And then, of course, you know, transfers giveth and taketh away. So curious to see how he uses the portal to kind of bring in some more veteran guys there and, and good players in the portal. And you can get guys in that way too. And undergrad transfers, uh, probably something he'll utilize at LSU a lot more than uh, the Notre Dame with that not really being an avenue Notre Dame really goes down. Well, and, and that, that's a great segue into some questions from our users on the loose emoji board, uh, because there are people asking about the transfer portal and if and when Marcus Freeman and his staff can, can really go into the portal. I guess, Tyler, if you want to just give like an overview of, and this is CornRob316 that asked, how does Marcus Freeman and the rest of the Notre Dame staff start to really tackle the transfer portal? And he says, we always lose some players to the portal, and that's going to happen to all top-tier programs. But how aggressive can Notre Dame start going into the transfer portal to find players that are not graduate transfers? It's an interesting topic. Yeah, I think Brian Kelly, in one of his last press conferences, I can't remember which one it was, he kind of alluded to it. He said, the transfer portal isn't really our thing. We may lose some guys to it, but we never really try to get anybody from it because that goes back to the recruiting uh, shopping down an aisle type thing that uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier. Notre Dame is always looking for the same type of guys, but I think Marcus Freeman's trying to break that mold. I don't see why he wouldn't try to break the transfer portal mold too. Look, it's all dependent on what your roster looks like as well, and that's going to be the first thing that Marcus Freeman does is assess which of these super seniors might come back and uh, you know what holes do we need to fill in certain position groups. So it's all dependent case by case, whatever school you go to, but you know, Notre Dame is essentially playing by the same rules as everyone else as far as the transfer portal goes. You know, they can get people to come in if that's what they think they need to do. And I think Marcus Freeman is just, as a 35-year-old first-year head coach, he might have a different look at the transfer portal than Brian Kelly did. So it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, we talked about the staff, too. These are a lot of the same guys, so maybe it's about breaking their molds, too, and Marcus Freeman might have to convince them, like, hey, look, this would be a really good fit for us. I don't care if it didn't work out for X reason at this school. Maybe he can work out at Notre Dame. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think that would you know, give a lot of fans optimism if they started reeling in guys out of the transfer portal and uh, you know they, they played right away at Notre Dame and they contributed and they helped Notre Dame win football games. Then that's really all that matters. And I think that would kind of liken himself to the fan base in a way. He's likened himself to the fan base in so many ways so far. But if he, if he pulled that one off, then I think a lot of people would uh, jump on that train as well. Patrick, do you think there's a, you know, we should say there is some precedent for Notre Dame. Amir Carlisle had not graduated from, um, was it USC? He's a California kid. And then Alohi Gilman also came in as a non-graduate from, from Navy. So there is some precedent. Now, both those guys were, were academically, you know, outstanding student athletes. But, um, Patrick, is, is there a little bit of a slippery slope, though, as far as Notre Dame? I'm sure grad transfers they love, but, like, the more you go into kids that oftentimes they're leaving for a reason, uh, their prior school, and it's, it's not necessarily the best of reasons. So it's an interesting point in that, yes, there have been two undergrad transfers. It's also two in, in 12 years, and I don't know the particulars of the, the Weiss and Willingham era, how many undergrad transfers they took. I can't imagine it was very many, but we, none. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, if anyone would know, it's, not, it's you. Uh, so we'll, we'll go with that. And, and even if it's one, it doesn't really go against the overall point that undergrad transfers haven't really been an avenue they've used. And we hear about, you know, challenges of credits and getting them in and, and, and all that. And I'm one of the things I haven't really gotten to explore since 
hopping on the beat, what was it, 20 months ago, that I, I kind of want to is what makes that about well, football that that's not really an avenue they, at least Brian Kelly would publicly tell you, they weren't able to use, even though you see it used in some other sports. We'll see if, if Freeman tries to push the envelope there. But either way, I don't think you're ever going to see this get to a point where you have a situation like Florida State this year where bringing in, what was it, I think 10 guys or nine guys, I don't remember exactly, out of the portal, a lot of them, uh, not all of them being grad transfers. Obviously, that's early in a rebuild. And then USC bringing in a bunch of transfers, uh, a lot of them undergrad transfers. That's kind of a, hey, let's inject this because Clay Helton's job was – uh, you know, he need he need, really needed to have a good season. Yeah. Notre Dame's not really in either of those places. And even if you, you take away that idea of, okay, they don't getting credits to transfer and everything from an undergrad, I don't I don't think it's ever gonna be a big part of what Notre Dame does because of the emphasis it puts on high school recruiting, because it wants to do national recruiting. And we were heard, we heard Brian Kelly say that, and I wouldn't be surprised if Marcus Freeman goes that way either. Just because you think of the recruiting upside that what he can do with uh, getting the the high school talent in here, and I think that's always going to be the backbone of it at Notre Dame. And look, may, maybe if if they're able to use it more, I feel like it'd be kind of the same principle as the grad transfer avenue of all right, this helps if a couple of positions or classes or in a class didn't pan out. And then you've got to get some more immediate help. So you're not just trying to pick from a bunch of freshmen who might not be ready to play. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, whether it's a grad transfer or undergrad transfer, who's now immediately eligible, but just with more than you know, one season left, I think that might be how they view transfers. And, and given what we talked about earlier with pushing this recruiting ceiling as high as it can go and having the right guy to do that, I, I don't know that it has to be this thing they need to really, really lean into, even as it is more of a, a path for getting talent than it ever has been. Mizzo 37 asks, which recruiting year does Freeman's hire impact more? I'm going to put a twist on this, by the way. He asked 2023 or 2024, but for you guys, I think we could speak about this generally. Obviously Mike Singer's our recruiting expert, but I'm going to add 2022 to this as well, like the current one. So this hire, what has the most impact this current year, 2022, next year, 2023, or down the road in 2024? Tyler, gut, gut feeling to that. What do, you, what do you think the most impact is? Uh, I mean, if this was a pie, I, I might put 33%, 33%, and then give 34% to maybe 2022 because yeah. you look at it right now, only one class has or one player has decommitted from the current class during a major you know, coaching upheaval. When, you know, for the last decade, you look at Notre Dame and you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm signing on to play for Brian Kelly because that's what it's been. And I feel like that's what it's going to be. In a snap of a finger, it was completely, you know, washed. It was okay. Now we don't know who we're playing for. It, it was, it was resolved pretty quickly that it will be Marcus Freeman, but that right there says it all in that kept the current class intact. It's a top five class has, uh, you know, the ability to stay there a week from today and then going into February as well. So I'm going to say 2022, just because it's so important. We've mentioned the word continuity, I think three or four times in this podcast already. Continuity is so important. It seems like the train is rolling on. Marcus Freeman's on the recruiting trail as we record this, as we say these words. So 
Uh, I like the twist that you put on there because that's my answer. I'm going to say 2022 because we know he's a really good recruiter and he's going to pull in great classes in 23 and 24. So what could he do to stabilize 2022? He's done that already and it might get even better. Patrick, what do you think? I kind of go the same way just in the sense that, look, if Notre Dame wanted to wait to hire a coach because it felt like the right coach was, say, just to use an example, Luke Fickle, who's tied up with the playoff, then it should have done that because this is a, a coaching hire has played out for years, not months. But the potential upheaval in note that three extra weeks you have to wait could have been pretty damaging for the immediate future of Notre Dame or what the immediate outlook for the new coach was just in attrition happens mm-hmm. when there's a custom change. And now there's none of that with Freeman and you keep what's a, a, should be a really high floor for 2022 and not just the class, but the team. So, yeah, I think that's something to be said for that. And, and, but at, I guess at the same time, like what's really the ceiling for that. Okay. You keep this number four class that might go to number five or six. If someone gets a bunch of signing day commits, and you can add what one, maybe two guys. It would be a good outcome of Billy Shrouth. That'd be a great first kind of win for him as far as an offensive player he got involved with. But 23 or 24 or really anything beyond this year, I think you look at that as a chance to like, all right, this guy's involved with everybody. Go try to hammer out a top three class or something like shoot for the whatever they think the ceiling or the stars are, even if what we talked about. Yeah, it's still true. That, and if you in terms of like upside of his impact, yeah, I think it'd be with future classes. Yeah, uh, with with the twist I added to Mizzo 37's question, I'm going to say emphatically 2022. I mean, just to both your guys' points, like Notre Dame fans and the recruiting operation, all that, you know, it's very fortunate that the class, this class hasn't fallen apart. And that speaks to one, the recruits that are committing to Notre Dame because they believe in Notre Dame. But there's a lot of other colleges that don't have that luxury. When they lose their head coach, it is really tough on their current recruiting class and they have floods of decommits i think the 2023 class is already so much in motion positively and and coach freeman had a significant impact on that already there's almost like no change just keep going on that and then we'll see we'll start to see i think the impact of marcus freeman's power as a recruiter as a head coach with that 2024 class i could tell you they hosted a lot of top 2024 prospects uh, four football games this fall. So it'll be really fun to see uh, what, what Coach Freeman and his staff does there. Let's do one more question from the Loose Emoji Board. This one from KCND Miss 97 says, do you guys have an idea of how much autonomy uh, Coach Reese will have with the offense moving forward? Do you think Marcus Freeman will tell Reese, I want to run out the clock with two minutes left and two timeouts? Or, or do you think those things will ultimately left, be left entirely up to Tommy Reese. Tyler. Yeah, I, th- I think ultimately it goes to Tommy Reese and you can kind of look at one of those questions that came in the intro press conference. Um, I think the question was as direct as what's your offensive philosophy? And Marcus Freeman just kind of started chuckling. He said, well, our offensive philosophy is what you've seen in the last 12 games. It's, yeah. it's Tommy Reese. And obviously Brian Kelly probably had his finger on that a little bit, like what you mentioned with some clock situations or maybe they're down in the red zone and Tommy Reese says, I want to do this. And Brian Kelly says, well, why aren't we doing this? I think there was probably a little bit or maybe a lot of bit of that this past season. I think Marcus Freeman's going to kind of let Tommy Reese blossom. Look, he's, 
not even 30 years old yet, Tommy Reese. And Marcus Freeman is 35. I think there's a lot of trust between those two guys. And you can see that on the video that I took on the tarmac. I think the chemistry between those guys is really good. They respect each other. They know that they're in this together. So Marcus Freeman's a first-year head coach. I don't think he's going to want to be too demonstrative and and pulling back with what Tommy Reese is trying to do. They're going to kind of feel it out. And, you know, if if Tommy Reese has all the autonomy in the world and something doesn't go right, then Marcus Freeman's probably going to let him know about it. And, you know, they'll try to correct some of those things. But from the start, I think you'll see Tommy Reese kind of take this opportunity as an ability to come into his own and show that, hey, uh, I'm, I'm running this offensive show now. It's mine. And, you know, you worry about just the logistics and being the CEO of this program and the defense, too. Obviously, mm-hmm. I've got the offense and, and we can make uh, a pretty good team. Patrick, do you think that's a good setup? I do. And it's one thing I wanted to ask Freeman about at his intro and didn't get the, the chance to. And one thing I'll kind of explore, hopefully, uh, in the next you know couple times that we, we get to talk to Marcus. But as far as fourth down, whether to kick or go for it, minute left with two timeouts and whether to run out the clock or you know how to handle a timeout situations late in the game. Those are head coach things that ultimately I think like those are head coach decisions that I, I think he will make. But with offensive game planning and strategy and all that, yeah, I think we're again, I still want to kind of ask and explore that, but I, I think the what we will hear and what would be I think a wise move on Freeman's part to say is that, yeah, this is Reese. This is his thing. Go do it. I think we've seen enough in the first couple of years that he's worth investing in, in, in that kind of role. And certainly you've got a nice raise to stay here. You're not going to pay that guy just to you know kind of be a figurehead or, or whatnot. Right. And yeah, to this point on that answer of what's the offensive philosophy, it's what you've seen. Yes. I, I think that'll be a, I think that Reese has a lot of uh, control over here. Need a great book this holiday season? Check out Echoes from Notre Dame Book Series by Lisa Kelly. It's a series of five books, including a pair of cookbooks, believe it or not. More on that later. If you visit echoesfromnotredamebooks.com, you could purchase some great reads, stories of Notre Dame football greats, why they decided to attend Notre Dame, and where their lives want after sports. Like I said, it's a series of five books, all great reads. In addition... We all have these discussions in our household, right? What should we have for dinner tonight? Well, you could check out Domer Dishes. It's two cookbooks, and it's the favorite recipes of former Notre Dame gridiron greats. So as you're pulling up highlights on YouTube, uh, this holiday season of past Notre Dame games, which we all do, right? And you ask yourself, I wonder what those guys ate or eat today. Well, Lisa Kelly has your answer with these two books. So check out. Her Echoes from Notre Dame book series at echoesfromnotredamebooks.com. That's 31, and she can, or that could be reached at 314 497 8367. Again, that's echoesfromnotredamebooks.com. The phone number on that is 314 497 8367. All right, guys. So uh, with the Fiesta Bowl, we do have some uh, Las Vegas lines out there. Notre Dame is favored by two and a half points. The over-under, and we talked about this before we started recording, is 45.5. I looked at that originally and thought maybe that was a mistake. But, Tyler, why, why do you think that over-under is is only at 45? Oklahoma State's defense. Yeah. That's the answer. And I think Notre Dame's defense, too. We've seen Notre Dame's defense over the last month of the regular season play its best football. 
that group has really come into its own under none other than Marcus Freeman. I think they have that system down and a lot of those individuals are playing at their best as well. And they've come together to play really well as a unit. But uh, we mentioned it a little bit on the video we did earlier in the week. I think Oklahoma's defense, one of the best in the country, number three in total defense in terms of yards allowed per game. Um, you know, Jim Knowles just got the job at Ohio State for a reason, so he's going to be teaming up with Ryan Day over there, and I think those two guys will make an incredible tandem what they can do offensively and defensively. But you don't get a job like that at one of the premier – um, you know, power five football programs in the country without doing something, you know, really special at a place like Oklahoma State. And I think it was funny. Um, we were doing the uh, Zoom press conferences there, I think, Sunday night once this bowl game was announced. And mm -hmm. uh, there was a question to Mike Gundy about uh, what do you got to do to retain Jim Knowles? Do you got to, you know, write him a blank check and say, here you go. I want you to be my defensive coordinator for years to come. And uh, Mike Gundy said, I don't think I have a blank check, but we're going to do everything we can to keep him. Two days later, it comes out that, you know, he couldn't do enough to keep him. But that just says everything about what this Oklahoma State defense is. I think that's why that over-under is sitting there at 45, because you're probably going to see a game where three touchdowns might win the game. I think the winner could easily have as few as about 24 points. So um, I'm not all too surprised by 45 being an over-under in this game. Patrick, what do you think? I wasn't either. And, in fact, if you look at some of the, like, advanced predictive things of trying to put out the score. And I see one right here that has it as a uh, Notre Dame 23, Oklahoma state 18. That's definitely under that over under. And for the same reasons, no, I was not particularly surprised. And you guys, you could kind of see it playing out in the similar mold to that big 12 championship game between Oklahoma state and Baylor. Although I, I don't think Jack Clown would throw four interceptions, but uh, no, wasn't stunned there. And yeah, two and a half, uh, Notre Dame minus two and a half. I know I said uh, on our previous show, Notre Dame minus five. I figured that'd be probably higher ultimately than it would come out. But I, I guess that I'm kind of thinking, okay, where would I feel comfortable taking Notre Dame to cover up to? Uh, probably still right around that five number. So if I, I look at this uh, two and a half line, my early indication is I feel like Notre Dame has a pretty good shot of covering that. All right, Patrick and Tyler, always good stuff. To our listeners, subscribe to the Irish Huddle Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're watching this via YouTube, which we're going to do both with this particular episode. Um, hit like on this video, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Gentlemen, and, and, and as always, you can read Patrick and Tyler's stuff at blueandgold.com. Please, please seek out our free newsletter. Sign up. Again, it's free. Great way to keep on top of not only Notre Dame football, but all of our content from the bluegold.com team. So everyone, thank you for listening or watching today.